This is The Guardian. A warning before we get started. On today's episode, we discuss the deaths of young children, which may be distressing for some listeners. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. According to the law, Kathleen Folbig is the worst of the worst. The case of convicted murderer Kathleen Folbig has been captivating Australians for over 20 years. A serial killer rightly languishing in prison for taking the lives of her four babies. She's been compared with the wrongfully convicted Lindy Chamberlain. What if it can now be proven she's not a villain but a victim? Folbig has always maintained her innocence, and since her conviction, genetic science has evolved, opening up the possibility that some of her children actually died of natural causes. So what does the latest evidence tell us, and could it lead to Folbig being exonerated? Today, science reporter Donna Liu on why the facts of Kathleen Folbig's case are still changing. It's Tuesday, the 9th of May. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Donna, who is Kathleen Falbig? So Kathleen Folbig is a 55-year-old New South Wales woman who is currently in jail for the deaths of her four children, which took place between 1989 and 1999. And it wasn't until her fourth child, Laura, died and that police began to investigate their deaths. On the 1st of March 1999, Folbig called OOO and told an operator that Laura wasn't breathing. And she said, I've had three go already, mentioning that three of her other children had already died from SIDS or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Mm. And Folbig was subsequently charged in 2001 and in 2003 she was convicted with the murder of three of the children, Patrick, who died at eight months, Sarah at 10 months and Laura at 18 months and also the manslaughter of Caleb who died at 19 days. We know there have been multiple judicial inquiries into this case over the years, but back in 2003 at Kathleen Folbig's criminal trial, What was the evidence that prosecutors originally relied on to prove that she was responsible for killing her children? So I guess firstly, uh, Folbig has always maintained her innocence and at trial she claimed that her children had died of natural causes. Mm. But the prosecution argued that Folbig had smothered her children at moments of frustration, but there was no positive forensic evidence to indicate that the children had been smothered. And so instead the prosecution relied on circumstantial evidence, including how seemingly unlikely it was that four children from one family would die of natural causes. And they relied on a concept by a controversial UK paediatrician called Roy Meadow. And this concept was called Meadow's Law, which suggested that three or more sudden infant deaths in one family was murder until proven otherwise. At the time, this was something that was accepted by experts, but it was not scientific. And since Volbeck's trial, it has been widely discredited. 
The prosecution also relied on Kathleen's diary entries over that decade from 1989 to 1999, and they used specific entries as virtual admissions of guilt. The prosecution argued that these diary entries showed that Folbig tended to get stressed and lose her temper with the children and then asphyxiate them. One of the lines in the diaries that they showed the jury was about her daughter, Laura, quote, scared that she'll leave me now like Sarah did. I knew I was short-tempered and cruel sometimes to her and she left with a bit of help. But it's important to know that there was no expert interpretation of those entries at the time, so there were no psychologists or psychiatrists to put those entries into context. Despite this, a jury was convinced and after a seven-week trial, uh, they convicted her of three counts of murder and one count of manslaughter and she was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Since then, Kathleen Folbig has managed to appeal her sentence, so she's now serving a minimum sentence of 25 years in prison, but she hasn't been able to successfully appeal her convictions. So why are we still hearing about this case more than 20 years on? So there were criticisms of how the initial trial was run and some doubts about the evidence relied on at that trial. Mm. Uh, In 2015, for example, a pathologist review of the medical evidence um, found that there was, quote, no positive forensic pathology support for the contention that any or all of these children have been killed. Mm. And what we now know that we didn't then is that Folbig and her two daughters, Sarah and Laura, had a rare mutation in a gene known as CALM2. And mutations in this gene are associated with cardiac arrhythmias, which can cause sudden deaths in children. Mm. But we didn't know this gene variant even existed back when the trial first happened. And it raises the possibility that the two girls' deaths could have resulted from natural causes. Right, so when did this new information about this gene mutation first emerge? So in 2018, there was um, a community petition where there are some very high-profile people got involved, and this petition raised some doubts about the evidence that had been presented at the trial. Mm. And this led to a first judicial inquiry in 2019. As part of that inquiry, experts sequenced the genomes of all four of the children which means that essentially they mapped out all of their DNA um, and looked at different genes that could potentially have been associated with early death. And at that time, other mutations in the gene had previously been associated with um, sudden deaths in infants and children, but experts weren't able to confirm the likely effect of this exact gene variant um, in Volbig's daughters before the inquiry finished. And the inquiry ultimately didn't find the existence of any reasonable doubt as to her convictions. It actually went in the other way. There was quite a lot of focus on interpretation, again, not expert interpretation of her diary entries. So the finding overall was that the inquiry produced evidence that actually reinforced Volbig's guilt. So the scientific experts ran out of time to confirm the effect of this gene variant in Folbig's daughters before the inquiry ended. What did they eventually discover? So even though they weren't able to figure out exactly what this variant did by the time the inquiry finished, Mm. uh, the scientists kept working at it. And in November 2020, uh, this international team published a research paper which concluded that the variant Folbig and her daughters possessed in the CALM2 gene, which was called CALM2G114R, was likely to result in life-threatening cardiac arrhythmias. 
And Laura and Sarah, importantly, had both had respiratory infections a few days before their deaths. And the researchers concluded that, quote, a fatal arrhythmic event may have been triggered by their intercurrent infections. Wow. So that suggests that Folbig may not have killed her two daughters. In fact, they could have died of natural causes. What did the research team find out about her sons? The team also identified that the two boys, Caleb and Patrick, carried variants in a gene known as BSN. And this gene um, in mice is shown to cause early onset lethal epilepsy when it's deleted. It's important to note that Patrick had suffered from epileptic seizures. And in 2022, a paper subsequently found BSN variants in other people with epilepsy. But experts say we still don't know enough about this particular gene variant yet to be able to say whether they may have contributed to the deaths of the boys. So the latest research suggests that a genetic variant that Folbig passed on to her daughters could have contributed to their deaths. So that means that Folbig is also living with this same variant now. How has she been able to survive? So more recently, there's been a second inquiry into this case, which has heard extensive evidence on the CALM2 gene variant. And it does provide a potential explanation as to why Folbig um, survived into adulthood with this gene while her two daughters didn't. Mm. And what was found right at the end of this inquiry is that Laura and Sarah had inherited another gene, a modified gene from their father, which Kathleen Folbig doesn't possess. And this gene is known as REM2 G96A. It was present in all four of the children um, and combined with the CALM2 gene variant, it was hypothesized to increase the likelihood that Sarah and Laura suffered from lethal arrhythmia. Right. Fascinating. So the modifier that they've inherited from their father actually changes the effect that that gene has on, on on them and their bodies. Exactly. And now that we have this new information, how could that affect Kathleen Folbig? So the scientific evidence um, has been used to call for Folbig's release from prison. In March 2021, 90, um, and I think that number's grown since, 90 prominent Australian scientists and medical professionals petitioned the New South Wales governor to pardon Folbig. Mm. Um, and, you know, quite notably, the, the petition included signatories that were, you know, Nobel laureates and the former chief scientist. Uh, and then subsequently, the genetic evidence prompted a second judicial inquiry, which finished just last month. Uh, What was notable at the inquiry was that the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions um, said that the genetic evidence fundamentally changes our understanding of the circumstances leading to the girls' deaths. So if even the prosecution is now conceding that the facts of this case are different to what they were in 2003, what could happen to Folbig as a result of this inquiry? Well, we're waiting on the final report to be handed down from that second inquiry. And the former judge that uh, led the inquiry, who's writing this report, could recommend that uh, Folbig be allowed to appeal her case in the Criminal Court of Appeal uh, or that she be pardoned by the the Governor-General. Folbig's legal team is pushing for her to be pardoned and released on parole. And that would mean that she's free from jail, but her convictions would remain on the books. Mm. So their ultimate goal is to open up a pathway for her to appeal her case to the Court of Criminal Appeal, which um, where if they won, would mean that her convictions were quashed and um, mean that she was never guilty in the first place. Mm. Her lawyer, Rani Rego, told me that in her view, Kathleen's case is 
the biggest miscarriage of justice in Australian history. And she says it's not just because she's her lawyer. Um, it's, it's because of quite a few different factors, including uh, dehumanising the way that she behaved as um, as a mother or what she should have done as a mother. Um, and there was a preference by police and the prosecution to rely on Meadows' law, this discredited unscientific precept. And the number of appeals and reviews which failed to identify this miscarriage of justice. Next, rethinking the evidence used to convict women of killing their children. Hey, Laura Mefiotes here, one of the hosts of Full Story. It's Guardian Australia's 10th birthday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a special live recording of Full Story at Vivid Sydney in June. We'll be talking about Australia's natural environment and how to save it. I'll be joined by a panel of special guests, including independent senator for the ACT, David Pocock, Dr. Dennis Rose, a Gunachamara traditional owner and conservation expert, national co-convener of the Labor Environment Action Network, Felicity Wade, and Guardian Australia's own environment editor, Adam Morton. The event is in Sydney, and you can buy tickets on the Vivid Sydney website right now. Just search for Full Story. Okay, we really hope to see you there. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Donna, before the break, we talked about the latest scientific evidence in this case, which casts doubt on Kathleen Folbig's convictions. Does this shed new light on the circumstantial evidence that was relied on to convict her in the first place, like the diary entries that she wrote during the period when her children died? Well, what's quite important, I think, is that those diary entries were not subject to expert analysis in in the initial trial or the first inquiry. Um, But in the latest inquiry, they were examined by psychologists and psychiatrists who concluded that they were the expressions of a grieving mother and didn't actually contain clear admissions of criminal guilt. Mm. And I spoke to some legal academics and Dr. Leah Williams, a lecturer in criminology and criminal law at the University of New South Wales, told me that there's this entrenched tradition traditional notion of what femininity is that can disadvantage women who come into contact with the criminal justice process. And she said it's something that you really saw in the Lindy Chamberlain case. You know, Mm. there were assumptions, um, these judgments made about her character, which then fed into perceptions of Chamberlain's criminal guilt. You also mentioned this thing called Meadows Law earlier. That's that concept that if there are three or more sudden infant deaths in one family, it's likely that they were all murdered unless there's proof otherwise. That too was used by the prosecution. And I know that that's been discredited now, but has that idea also influenced other cases like Folbig's? Yeah, so Meadows' law was something that the prosecution relied on quite heavily in that initial trial. You know, the idea that it was so implausible that four children would have had natural deaths in the one family. But at 
The latest judicial inquiry into Folbig's case, a lawyer assisting the inquiry said, we now know this uses, quote, patently incorrect statistical probabilities to underpin the false aphorism. Mm. In fact, in the UK, Meadows Law actually led to the wrongful convictions of a handful of women in similar circumstances to Folbig, who, and these women were later exonerated, they had their convictions overturned on appeal because Meadows Law was found to be so statistically unsound. So Donna, this is a fascinating case um, and it's it just keeps evolving over time because we keep learning all of this information about these genes. What did you come to understand in reporting on this story about the role that science plays in the justice system? I think Folby's case is particularly unusual because the shift in, in scientific understanding has been so great between the initial trial to her subsequent um, inquiries and I guess the thing to say is that, you know, legal uncertainty and scientific uncertainty sometimes don't go hand in hand. um, And we often don't have clear answers, um, particularly when it's to do with instances where the science is evolving. And it's, it's really complex. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in future as we learn more about genetic variants and genetic sequencing. You know, the BSN um, gene in, in the boys, for example, is quite interesting. And we still don't know enough about that to say how or whether it influences the case at all. So, you know, that kind of uncertainty is something that the legal system will continue to have to work with in future. That was Donna Liu, science reporter for Guardian Australia. If this episode raised any concerns for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And to find out more about Kathleen Folbig's case, you can check out Donna's recent article on this. It's called Kathleen Folbig, Science Sheds New Light on Case of Mother Convicted of Murdering Her Children. We'll post a link to that on the full story page. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and myself, sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Hannah Parks. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.